I just want to start, before we even dig into the Bible tonight, just to, just a blanket statement, say, I am so glad you're here. Like, for some of you, I know your stories, I know where you've been, I know what you've done, and the fact that you're here, honestly, is just, it's a miracle. Like, I am a miracle. The fact that I am in a church is a miracle. And for many of you that I don't know your stories, you're probably thinking, like, what am I doing inside a church? I never thought I would be here. And I just want you to know, like, we are so glad you're here. And you're not here on accident. You're here on purpose and with purpose. I believe that wholeheartedly. And even if you are just trying to check this Christianity thing out or check the Salt Company thing out, I just want you to lean in for the next three weeks, okay? We are starting a, a small series called Foundations. And if you look at the graphic, it's kind of meant to be like lines of like a blueprint because the foundations are the blueprint of Salt Company. This is what we're building our ministry on. And so when you make a blueprint, it's like this is our plan that's going to get us to our destination. And so when we talk about the foundations of Salt Company, we're talking about the Bible, community, and mission. That's where we're going to be the next three weeks. Bible, community, and mission. And... Honestly, I think there's no better place to start than the Bible. Like, every week, if you come to Salt Company, you're going to understand that we open our Bible. And we're going to talk a lot about that tonight. But before we do that, I want to just ask you a quick question, okay? Backing up, why are you here? Why are you here? For some of you, you're like, I don't know, you put a door hanger on my door at Kirkwood, and for some of you, you're like, I don't know, my girlfriend made me come. For some of you, are like, I thought you were going to have free Chick-fil-A again. I don't know, like, I don't know why I'm here. But I'm not just talking about why are you here for Salt Company. I'm asking, like, why are you here? Why are you at college? Why are you in Cedar Rapids? Why do you exist? Like, you're like, holy cow, Jordan, big question. We were just laughing about Chick-fil-A. Don't talk to me about my purpose in life. No, why are you here? This is a big question that actually begins to be asked when you're like itty-bitty, right? I have a two-year-old and a one-year-old, and I'm already thinking up like, man, I wonder what Leo is going to be like when he gets older, and I wonder what he's going to do, and, you know, I'm throwing a football to my two kids, and it hits Blaze's arms, and it bounces off. I'm like, he's not going to be a football player, and I throw it to Leo, and he's like, oh, you know, OBJ, like one-handed catch. I'm like, he'll be a freak athlete, right? I start kind of writing the story for my kids, and this last week, back to school, you see the kids with their cute little signs. It's like, when I get older, I want to be, and sometimes it's as realistic as, I want to be an art teacher. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's so cute. And for some kids, it's like, I want to be a werewolf. And it's like, you're a psychopath, kid. Like, I don't know what's wrong with you. But then, I mean, fast forward, right? Like, you're 18 to 23-ish years old, and you're kind of trying to ask the question like, okay, it's not what am I going to be when I grow up. I'm like growing up, and now my future is like staring me in the face, and it's like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I, what's my major going to be? What am I going to school for? What does the next 10, 15, 30 years look like? And I don't want to say that those are bad questions to ask. Like, you should be asking those questions. Otherwise, your life probably doesn't have a very clear path forward. Like, I hope your vision for your life is not to live in your mom's basement for the next 40 years. That's not fun. That's not cool. Your future spouse, if that ever happens, will not enjoy that, okay? But I do want to say those questions stop short 
Okay, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or what are you going to school for? What's your future career path? They stop short in two ways. Okay, the first is they, they simply define your identity by a career. Like what you're doing between the hours of 8 to 5 traditionally. But the other thing is they assume that you are in control of your life. And if you've lived for any amount of time, you know that that's simply not true, right? Control seems like it's in our hands until tragedy strikes. You think through, like, derecho hits, it's like, oh, how many of you guys planned for that? Or you have a family member like me get diagnosed with cancer, and you're like, wow, I figured out pretty quickly I'm not in control. And so we're left in many ways, like, reaching for control and we're reaching for purpose in all of these ways and where does it leave us it leaves us stressed out we're full of anxiety and worry because we're trying to grab for control and find purpose in all of these areas that we're actually not meant to have we're not meant to have control and you're not meant to find your purpose in things or jobs okay Here at Veritas, starting this upcoming Sunday, we are going to begin teaching through the book of Genesis. It's the very first book of the Bible, and it starts with these words, in the beginning, God. And I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. In the beginning, God created. And God created everything, including you. And that means you were created by God on purpose and with purpose. And the question is, are you living according to that purpose? For many of us, it's like, wow, I guess I don't really know. And that should trouble you. Because if something was created for a specific purpose and it's not used that way, probably not going to go well, right? This morning, my two-year-old has, we have this portable air conditioner unit in our house because in the summer, our AC went out, whatever. Long story short, a remote to this portable AC unit. And he goes and he picks it up. He's two years old. Give him a little grace, okay? And he says, Daddy, I take your picture. And he holds up this AC remote to, like, take my picture. Bro, that's not taking a picture. Like, you know, I kind of want to be like, oh, yeah, cool picture, man. No, he's two. I won't pick on him. But for many of us, it's like, what if that is how you're living your life? Like, God created you for a very specific purpose, and you are just completely abandoning what you were made for. That's part of my fear. And so tonight, as we begin to open the Bible... I want to not just ask the question, what do I do with my life? Though that's a big question. But I want to rather ask the question, how do I live the life that God wants for me? Okay, if God has created me and he has made me on purpose and with purpose, we should be asking, God, what is that purpose and how do I live the life that you want for me? How do I live out what I was designed for? And so we're going to be looking at a couple of verses in 2 Timothy 3, all right? If you have a physical Bible, I would love for you to bring a physical Bible. It's great for you to be able to mark up and interact with, but the reality is all of you have access to the Bible on this thing. It's called a cell phone, all right? Bible. Type it in on the App Store, download it. You won't regret it, all right? 2 Timothy is where we're going to be, and this is a letter that was written hundreds, thousands of years ago, right, by a man by the name of Paul, And if you know anything about Paul, he is 
one of the least expected dudes to be planting a church and writing a letter to a pastor. Because this guy used to kill Christians. He was known as a religious zealot who hated Christians, putting them to death. But he has this incredible interaction. He encounters the living God and everything changes. He gives his life to planting churches and becoming a missionary. And he raises up this pastor by the name of Timothy. Timothy was a young guy who Paul kind of pulled under his wing. Paul was kind of like a spiritual father to Timothy. And one of the things I love about 2 Timothy is it is Paul's last letter that he wrote before he died. And I just can't help but think like, man, deathbed letter, he's probably writing some of the most important words he has ever penned because death is near. And when you're close to death, you're saying like, you're using your ink very wisely to say what matters. And so he's writing to Timothy. Timothy is pastoring this church in a city called Ephesus. And life is crazy for Timothy. Young dude, crazy Greek city that is just full of evil, and it's full of a ton of false teaching. And I don't know if you know this or not. Did you guys know that our world is full of evil? Raise your hands. Yeah, I don't have to do a lot of convincing there. But the reality is, too, this world is full of a ton of false teaching. And maybe you actually don't know that. I was reading this book called The Wisdom Pyramid. I'm not trying to sell it to you. I just kind of want to read um, a paragraph for you here. It's talking about the information age. It's talking about how much information we're exposed to, okay? It says, in 2020, there were 40 times more bytes of data on the internet than there are stars in the observable universe. Whew, wow. Get this, though, okay? By 2025, 463 exabytes, you've never heard of that word before, by 2025, 463 exabytes of data will be created each day online. That is equivalent to 212, 765,957 DVDs per day. What even is an exabyte? Well, consider this. Five exabytes is equivalent to all words ever spoken by humans since the beginning of time. In 2025, that amount of data will be created every 15 minutes. Wow. And quick question, okay? You don't have to be that intelligent to figure this out. Is everything on the internet true? No. But chances are you have a crazy aunt or grandpa that thinks that's true, right? Like the post that went viral several years ago where it's like, Everybody share this picture of this dog that saved his owner in a home fire. And the person that posted it literally just put a piece of ham on the dog's face. And it just like goes viral. They're like, oh my gosh, look at this precious dog. He saved people's lives. No, it's a piece of ham on a dog's face. Okay, that's not true. We all have a, okay, quick raise of hand. Does anybody have a crazy relative that does stuff like that? Just like share everything. Yeah, and just spread falsehood. Yeah. We all do. And if you're like, oh, I don't have a crazy relative, you are the crazy relative, okay? Stop sharing everything on your social media. Everything on the internet is not true. And it leads me to ask this question, okay, well then how do we know what is true? Or where do we go for truth? And I'm giving you a not shocking answer because you're here in this church and you're about to hear me say a very church thing. The Bible, okay? 
where do we find truth? This book, this Bible, and you're about to see why. 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 16, says this word, okay? All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. I'm just going to stop there. That is a really big deal. Okay, though this letter was penned through the hand of a man named Paul, God is telling us that actually through Paul, through his writing to Timothy, we are encountering the living God. Like God has made himself known through the pages of this book that we call the Bible. And I don't know how familiar you are with the Bible, but I just want to shout out just a few quick statistics to maybe compel you to believe that this is not just an ordinary book, okay? It is comprised of 66 books written by over 40 authors from different backgrounds and occupations, written over the course of 1,600 years, spanning three continents, and it tells one cohesive story. There is not a single contradiction or error. That is crazy. But get this. It contains over 2,000 prophecies, which are essentially foretelling the future. Okay, 2,000 prophecies that were fulfilled hundreds, if not thousands of years after their writing. And the probability of all of these prophecies being fulfilled without a single error is 1 in 10 raised to the 20,000th power. Yeah. I'm just saying, if you don't believe that this book is inspired by God, you have more faith in some ways than I do. To think that this might happen by chance is an absolute crazy reality. Now you get into the historical evidence, okay? The Bible has more empirical support, a shorter time between the original writing and surviving copies, and a greater number of source manuscripts than any other ancient work by far. So I'm going to give you a few examples, okay? There are 251 copies of the works of Julius Caesar. The earliest is from 950 years after he wrote. There are 109 copies of the works of Herodotus, the earliest from 1,400 years after he wrote. But archaeologists have found over 1,800 manuscript copies of the works of Homer, that's pretty compelling, 1,800. It actually would say that means we have a 95% confidence in the original text of Homer. Pretty good, right? 95%. But for the New Testament of our Bible, there are currently more than 5,000 manuscripts with the most early copies anywhere from 200 to 300 years later and some less than 100, which gives us a greater than 99% confidence in the contents of this text. And though all of that evidence is there, if you're just a sheer statistics, logical probability guy, I think one of the most compelling pieces of evidence that this is inspired by God is that it still exists today. For generations, by multiple kingdoms and governments and political forces, they have tried to distinguish the word of God. They have tried to just make it go away they have tried to make the gospel be silenced. And you know what has actually happened? The gospel has gone forward. 
this book still exists. And you talk about kings and tyrants, similar to Paul, who hated Christians, who end up reading this Bible and giving their lives to Jesus Christ. To me, I'm like, okay, take all the evidence you want. Lives changed by reading this book tells me that this is no ordinary book, okay? This is a book that not only do we read, it reads us. And it doesn't just give us information, it gives us transformation. And so, I think we're, we're sitting here looking at this book that is inspired by God. And I think it's really sad that we are not recognizing that the God of the universe wants to speak to us today. I don't think this is just an American problem, but I think it is very much an American problem, right? Like, we have access to this book. Many of you probably grew up with one of these in your house, collecting dust on a shelf. If nothing else, you have an app on your phone to have access to the Bible in your own language that you can read wherever you want, whenever you want, and you don't have to worry about what's going to happen to you. That is just not true on the other side of the world, okay? I'm a numbers guy, so just lean in here, okay? In the last year, one year, 360 million people around the world are persecuted. 10,000 Christians are kidnapped or imprisoned. 6,000 Christians are killed. And 5,000 churches are attacked or closed because of what this book contains. Are you kidding me? 6,000 Christians a year are killed trying to either get their hands on this book or defend this book. You know why? Because they understand what this book is about. They are not treating this like another college textbook that's meant to collect dust. They are saying, the God of the universe has spoken and I want to get to know him. I want to hear from God. And so for us, we're, we're left in a day and age where it's like, oh, I want information or advice. I'm going to hop on the internet. I'm going to read a news source. I'm going to pick up a different book. I'm going to you know, go to the Student Success Center, whatever that means. I don't know how they help you with success, but we're going to all these other areas while in the meantime, the God of the universe has spoken to you. And he's saying, I want to tell you not just who you are, but who I am. And so let me ask you, Salt Company, how is your Bible reading going? How are you doing with picking up this book and encountering the living God? Odds are, if you're anything like I was in college, the answer is you're not doing well. And I'm not asking that question to, like, shame you into a hole, right? I'm not here to make you back up and be like, oh, my gosh, I haven't read my Bible, like, ever in my life. No, I am inviting you in, okay? I'm not saying, like, go read your Bible more, dang it. Like, no, you guys, the God of the universe has spoken to you. You don't have to go to the Internet to find all these millions of sources, many of which you don't know are true. You can run to this book and encounter the God of the universe. And so I'm asking you, would you begin to just say, wow, I want to read my Bible. If this God has spoken, I want to read my Bible. And the good news is, 
God hasn't just spoken, but he has spoken on purpose. The verse continues here in verse 16. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That means that not only has God spoken, but he has spoken with purpose. Like every single word that is contained in our Bible has purpose. From Genesis to Revelation, it says all of Scripture is God-breathed and profitable or useful. That means God is not just about, in this book, like small talking with you, much of which happens in the lobby. It's like, hey, what's your favorite condiment? Like, I don't know how profitable that is for you, okay? By the way, it's not mayo. Yeah, come on. But, but God is not here in the Bible saying like, so, how about that weather today, right? Gas prices are crazy. Student loan forgiveness. Like, whatever. College football starts tonight. Okay, that might be a little profitable, right? Like, college football starting, that's a little bit profitable. No, God's words are important. And it says here that they're profitable or helpful for us in four ways, okay? I want to look at them, kind of split them up in twos. So, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof. Okay, these deal primarily with doctrine or thinking. This tells us that God's word is actually helpful in teaching us or like helping us understand how to think correctly, to to be able to understand what is actually true. And not only what is actually true, but what leads to a path of flourishing. Again, when we get back to purpose, it's like as we read the pages of the Bible, we get to interact with God telling us, hey, if you want the path for flourishing in your life, if you want to live the way you were designed, let me teach you who I am and what you were made for. But the negative side of that is it's for reproof. Not only is he teaching you what's true, he's also showing you what's not true. He is exposing the falsehood and the lies that we are so prone to listen to. And they're not just lies that come at us from culture. They are lies that we drum up within ourselves. God is saying, hey, as you read this book, I am not only going to tell you what's true, I am going to expose all of the lies that you are listening to. But then the last two... Again, this is a positive and negative pairing, and he's not just talking about right thinking or right doctrine. He's talking about right living, okay? So it says, God's scripture is useful for correction. That means he's not just telling you what's false. He's showing you where you fall short. God is showing you where you are not living according to his good design. And yeah, you better believe it hurts, (laughs) right? The word that we use oftentimes in church is this word called conviction. And it's like, oh man, that doesn't feel good. But I'm here to tell you, like, God in his kindness is giving us this gift of conviction, and it hurts. It hurts just like a scalpel going to someone who has cancer in their body to cut it out of them. When we feel this conviction, it's God saying, hey, This cancer exists in you, and I'm trying to cut it out of you, that you might actually experience life and joy and peace and fulfillment. So he is correcting us with his word. 
But also on the positive note, his word is training us in righteousness. He's not just showing you all the ways that you are sinning against God. He is helping you follow him. Right? Just in a conversation earlier today with a friend. And it's like, hey, when you end up in a moment and someone is saying, hey, do you want to go get drunk tonight? In that moment, how you have trained is actually going to show up in the decision you make. And if you want to honor God with that decision, the good news is God has given you what you need to train in righteousness. That you can sit at his feet and you can read God's commands and you can understand what he wants for you and how you are to flourish. And then when you're in that decision, you can make a very easy decision because you have trained in righteousness. You can actually live for God. It's not just knowing stuff about him. It's living for him. And all of this comes together to accomplish this purpose in verse 17. Okay? All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that... The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We see good works show up all the time throughout Scripture. And I just want to make clear, you do not earn a right standing before God because of the good things you have done, okay? God is not a person that we can measure up to. We talked about that last week in John 5. We are as helpless as helpless can get. But Jesus is the one who has moved towards us, right? We looked at Ephesians 2. For by grace, unmerited favor, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But that verse actually continues in Ephesians 2, and it says, for we are God's handiwork. We are God's masterpiece. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Meaning, you are not saved by your own good works, but when you encounter the living God when you understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you, the only appropriate response is to say, yes, I will live for you. Jesus, you came, you lived, you died for me, you rose again. My only appropriate response is, yes, I'm going to live for you. And I'm going to step into what you have asked me to do because I know that you are for me, not against me. That is the appropriate response. And so why has God spoken? Why do we have this scripture that's in front of us today in the year 2022. God is trying to say, hey, I want you to know me. I want you to know who you are and what you were made for. And I have spoken so clearly in such a way that you don't have to guess. And I think one of my struggles is many of us, as we've experienced the Bible, we just say, it's boring right? Or like, man, I don't want to read my Bible. And Jesus himself, in the book of Matthew, says, man should not live by bread alone, but by, but by every word that comes from God. Meaning, just like food is meant to give the body nourishment and energy and strength, 
This Bible, the Word of God, is meant to sustain your soul. I'm sure we've all seen those commercials, okay? It's the sad music on the background. And the kids on the other side of the world who have, like, the bloated stomachs, it's, like, tragic, right? These starving kids, and they're trying to get you to, like, give money so that these kids can eat. I want you to know something actually pretty unique about that exact situation. These kids have these bloated stomachs. You know why? It's because their stomach muscles have actually stopped working. Because when you're hungry, like many of us, even if, how many of you have ever said, I'm starving? Okay, let's cut that. Like, high level, you're not starving, okay? Because if you were starving, you actually wouldn't even know it, right? After approximately four days, your stomach muscles actually start to shut down because they haven't been digesting any food, hence the bloating. And I share that because I think many of us say, oh, I don't have an appetite to read scripture. It's because you haven't been reading it. You haven't been digesting God's word. Therefore, guess what? You don't even know you're starving, but you are. And so rather than sitting around and waiting and saying, man, I'm just going to start reading my Bible when I get a desire, maybe what you need to start doing is start eating, right? Start reading. Like when these kids finally get food in their stomachs, you know what starts to happen? Their digestive system starts to work again. It starts to churn. And before you know it, they're like, oh, wow, I am really hungry. And I need more food. And I am just pleading with you, Salt Company. If you would begin to read your Bible, okay, I actually wholeheartedly believe that you will end up having the same response. That you will be like, oh, wow, I never knew how much I needed this. And I want to read more. That's what happened to me in 2013. As a kid who was raised in the church but actually wanted nothing to do with God, when I understand who Jesus is and what he's done for me and I start reading my Bible, I'm like, I can't get enough of this. I mean, I read my Bible cover to cover in less than six months, and I'm not saying that to boast. I'm just saying I tasted that the Lord was good, and I was like, I want more. I want to learn more of who this God is. And so at the very beginning of this message, right, we're asking this question like, okay, if you have been created by God and for God, and you were created on purpose, the question we're asking is, how do I live the life God wants for me? The answer is, from 2 Timothy 3, a life lived for God is rooted in the word of God. A life lived for God is rooted in the word of God. So if you want to know your purpose, if you want to live the life that God has planned for you, start to read your Bible, okay? I don't mean to oversimplify that, but get your face in this book. Encounter the majesty it is that the God, the creator of the universe, would speak words to you and talk to you, and interact with you, and be intimate with you to show you more of who he is, and who you are, and what you were made for. And so, in light of this, okay, three really simple, upfront, simple applications to walk away from 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. The first is this, read your Bible. <laughs> Seriously, read your Bible. And I have a couple different tools that I want to get really practical with you, okay? So the first is four Ps, okay? So if you want to begin reading your Bible, 
Here's what you need. You need a place, okay? Where are you going to read? Find a place that you're going to sit down, get alone, perhaps, and read God's Word. Maybe this is at a desk. Maybe this is in the library. Maybe you go to a coffee shop every morning and you blow your money on Starbucks and you're like, whatever, I'm already wasting my money. I might as well not waste my time. And open your Bible, dang it, okay? Go to, find a place. Find people, okay? This is a great opportunity for you to begin reading your Bible in community. Because chances are, for some of you, this is the first time you've ever read this book. And if you're reading it alone, you're like, wow, I am really confused. This seems a lot more challenging than I ever knew. What if you got together with like three, four, five other people? And whether you read together in the same place at the same time, or you guys just decided, hey, I'm gonna read, we're going to read the same thing, and we're going to start a text thread about what we're reading, create some accountability and start reading with other people. Okay, the third is a plan. Have a plan on what you're going to read. Don't just like go with the flow. Otherwise, you're not going to read. My suggestion to you is start in the Gospel of John. This upcoming semester, we're going to be teaching a lot in the Gospel of John. You're going to get a really clear picture of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And make it simple, okay? Read a chapter a day. Maybe if that's too much, read like a heading to a heading a day. Just have a plan. Start in the Gospel of John and start reading it with people. And the last thing is a process. So have a process as to how you're going to read. Don't just like pick it up, skim it right before bed or when your eyes are still crusty in the morning and put it down. You're not going to remember what you read, okay? Have a process. And I actually have a process that I want to, I want to teach you tonight. This might be new to some of you. It's called COMA. You see that? A little acronym, C-O-M-A? Okay, context. You start with the context. You can literally write this out on a piece of paper. Context. Who is writing this letter? Who are they writing it to? When was it written? What was its original purpose? Because believe it or not, the Bible actually wasn't written to you. It was written to a different audience. And yes, it's written for you, but you are reading somebody else's mail. When you open the Bible, it's like, oh, I need to understand who the author was and his original intent. And what was going on within this church's context? Okay, the next, observation. You simply begin reading and you start writing down anything that stands out to you. Whether it's like a word or a repetition, anything that stands out to you. And you just start to scratch it down. Like, man, all scripture is breathed out by God. What does that mean, breathed? Okay, I'm just going to write breathed profitable for teaching. What does he mean when he says teaching? You can write that down. That's an observation, okay? Then you get to the M, meaning. What does it mean? And not just what does it mean to these people in this time, but what does it mean for me? Like, what is God actually trying to communicate? And that leads you to your last one, application. If God's word is true, which it is, newsflash, it is, this is truth. How is it going to change the way you live your life? Because I've already said this. The goal is not just information, but transformation. Not just what does this mean, but how is it actually meant to confront me? How is it meant to correct me or to teach me or to reprove me or to train me in righteousness? 
what is this text actually doing in my heart and in my life? So, read your Bible. The second is a question for you to ask as you just go about your life, okay? What does the Bible say? You are going to be confronted by a ton of lies within the next day, within the next week. I mean, reading those statistics on 2025, like three years from now, like, your future is going to be full of lies. Lies that are told to you by out there and lies that are told to you from within yourself. And actually, what you're going to do better, rather than trying to find all the lies, is just know the truth. All right? You've probably heard this before. The people that are hired to detect counterfeit, what do they study? They study the genuine bill. Right? They actually look at, like, what does it feel like? And they have different tests where they tilt it, and they look at it, and they look through it. Because if you understand what the real genuine bill looks like, there's, like, hundreds of different ways to counterfeit a bill. But if you know what the real one looks like, it's pretty easy to spot a lie. And so I want you, Salt Company, to begin asking the question, what does the Bible say? Like, let this be the genuine bill for our life. And it's like, man, what does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible say about family or career path? What does the Bible say about my purpose? What does the Bible say about fill in the blank, insert cultural issue? Let this be the lens through which we start to look at life through. And then the last application, this one is... Easy to say, harder to do. Submit your life to Scripture. Okay? If God has created you, and he has created you on purpose and with purpose, that means that he actually has the authority to tell you what's best for you. You don't know what's best for you. As a dad of two kids who cry over some of the dumbest things, and me telling them no, trying to protect them and keep them safe and fight for their flourishing, I'm like, no, you can't chew on broken glass. No, you can't play with your poop. Like, I know that seems fun to you. That's not good for you. And believe it or not, we do that stuff all the time. Maybe not actually, please don't actually play with your poop, okay? But actually speaking here, like, we do stuff all the time that we think is best for us. And our perspective is so limited compared to God's. Like to think, the God of the universe, who has existed from eternity past and will exist till eternity future, he has a really big perspective, and so when he tells you to do something, he actually knows what's best for you. So if you open up the Bible, and it actually says, you know, something along the lines of, stop complaining, or stop grumbling, or stop gossiping, or this charge to, like, share the gospel. <laughs> like, tell other people about Jesus. It's like, man, that's really hard. But if that's meant to be for my good, I'm going to listen to God. But I just want to, I want to say, I think there's some of us in this room who, when I say submit to Scripture, you actually think that this is not good for you. Like, that you think God is the fun hater. Right? He's just giving you all the rules of all the stuff that you can't do. And maybe that's been your experience with religion growing up. But I want you to know, guys, 
there is a man by the name of Jesus Christ. And in John 1, which I just told you, like, great place to start reading. Jesus, do you know what he's called? He's called the Word. The Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The actual word used there for word is logos. And it means, it implies this bridge between God and man. Right? That we have been separated from God and that there is this mediating bridge between a holy God and a sinful people. It says that Jesus became the word, the mediator. Just like this is our way in so many ways to interact with a holy God, to hear from a holy God. It says Jesus became the word. He put on flesh. And because you had been separated from a holy God and you could not work your way to him, he died your death. He took your death penalty. He embraced the cross. He bore your shame. And he literally died. And he literally rose again. Again, historically proven, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that this God-man would defeat the grave and he would invite you into this relationship, this restored relationship with the Holy God and that you would then be declared righteous. That you would get to stand before a Holy God and he would not see your sin but that he would see the perfect work of Jesus Christ. And there's actually this verse in Romans 8. I want to read it to you guys. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so, Salt Company, if the God of the universe looked at you in your most broken state, the dirtiest, filthiest person and place you have ever been, and he looked at you and he said, I love you. And I'm going to give my most precious and prized possession in the person work of my son, my one and only son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to send him to earth to live and die for you. The reality is, do you really think that same God is holding out on you? No way. There is absolutely no way. If God would give up his one and only son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It is this, this deep beckoning to say, trust that God is for you. And yes, some of his commands are hard to follow. And it doesn't always make sense to us with this finite mind, this small perspective. But if we can say, okay, Jesus, you are the one that lived and died for me. When I was jacked up and wanted nothing to do with you, you died in my place. And so if you're telling me to go share the gospel with my classmate, and you're actually saying that's for my good, I, I'm going to feel super awkward. <laughs> and it's probably going to be a flop, but I'll do it. I'm going to obey you. If you tell me to move to the other side of the world because there are hundreds and if not thousands of people groups that have no access to the Bible, I'll do it. If you tell me to stop getting drunk on weekends and it's going to cost me my friend group and you're saying that's actually for my good, I will do it. If you're telling me to stop worshiping my career in athletics 
because it's getting in my way of my relationship with you, I'll do it. If you're telling me to set aside some of my screen time on a given day so that I can actually open my Bible, I'll do it. That's what it looks like to submit to Scripture. In Salt Company, I don't think we have any idea of what life would look like if we began to actually understand what this book is for us. And I can give you just, just a glimpse, okay? This book that you once thought was an old dry textbook is going to come alive to you. You're going to get to drink deeply from the fountain that is God himself. You're going to begin to understand the reality of who you are and who God is like never before. And rather than being, okay, Gen Z is considered the most stressed anxious and depressed generation that has ever lived, okay? If this room would begin to sit at Jesus' feet and read this Bible, I wholeheartedly believe that the script is going to flip. That rather than your life being filled with chaos and confusion and disorder, your life would be characterized by peace and joy and fulfillment. And rather than a people that are just on a constant search for what is true out there and in here that we would get to run to one book, the Bible, that has existed for generations and generations and generations and we would get to say, God, you are true. You are faithful. So I want to pray for us. Worship team is going to come back up. Bow your heads with me. God, thank you that you are a God that speaks. And yeah, can't help but think of Genesis 1, God, when you speak, everything changes. God, when you speak, light shines in the darkness. God, when you speak, life just bursts forth from the ground. And God, as I think about 2 Timothy 3, in this reality that all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is God-breathed. The reality is, God, you have spoken to us to give us life. That we would know you. That we would know who we are, what we were made for. And Jesus, that we would just simply get to respond to who you are and what you've done. And so I pray, God, for myself, for the Salt Company staff team, for every student in this room, that you would create this deep-rooted hunger for scripture. God, we confess that we have wasted our time consuming so many other things when we have just been neglecting access to the God of the universe. And God, it hurts to say that. But we want, we want to know you. Not just know about you, not just learn a bunch of things, but we want to know you. We want a relationship with you. And Jesus, I thank you that you have made this possible. Thank you that you are the word become flesh, that you are the mediator between a holy God and an unrighteous people. And God, I pray tonight as we just reflect on your word, our need for truth, God, that you would give us a heart that worships you, that stands in awe of you, and that sings praises to you because you are worthy. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.